It's a really joy to have Mark here today. We've gotten to know Mark over the last few years when we go to our regional assemblies. He's come here and I've been here in our facility as well and just a, a precious brother. Just, uh, you know, the, the, his character just commends itself and himself to us. Just a humble man, uh, loves Jesus, but, but when he talks and when he talks about things, he's also a very smart man. You can just see that, but it's not one of those showy things. He just gets it, speaks well, and uh, just appreciate him, appreciate his friendship over the years. Mark studied at Taylor in Indiana, and then went to, to Southern Seminary in Kentucky, and then he's been a pastor at Christ Covenant Church in Winona Lake for 11 years, been the lead pastor there for three years. Some of you will remember uh, Larry and Gladine McCall, they've been here several times. Larry started the church, and now, um, Mark has taken the lead in that and is doing a marvelous job. So it's in our region of churches in Sovereign Grace. So we're together often and in relationships and just a delight to have him. Please welcome Mark as he comes to bring God's word to us. Well, thank, thank you for that kind introduction. I'm going to pray for us as we get ready to open the word uh, and then we will dive in. Our Father in heaven, uh, thank you for the gift of the scriptures. Uh, thank you that you are a God who speaks, uh, who has not just left us merely with the creation to look at and to know of your existence, but that you have spoken savingly to us, that you have revealed more of who you are, that you have even shown not just your power and your creativity and your sovereignty, but you've shown your grace, your mercy to us. Uh, thank you most of all for speaking by sending your son, for speaking through him. And we pray even as we read some of his very words to us this morning that, that you would speak to us again through them, that you would impress upon us the weight of what we get to hear and the glory of it. I pray that you would give us attentive hearts if we're distracted, that you would give us uh, humble hearts if we are tempted to come pridefully or presumptuously. I pray that you would give us inquisitive hearts if we think that we have it all figured out, but that, that you would uh, speak to us through your word again again, and that we would have ears to hear. And we pray this in the name of our common Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can open up your copy of the Bible to the very last two verses of the scriptures. Uh, Revelation chapter 22. We'll look at verses 20 and 21 uh, here in just a moment. But I wanted to send uh, or express greetings to you from our church way over in the neighboring state of Indiana. Uh, we are the only Sovereign Grace Church in our state. You at least have two in your state. We're still solo, uh, but trying to plant some churches to, to start. But uh, we're so grateful to be in partnership with you all uh, as a sister church, even from one state away. Uh, we're thankful for growing partnerships like uh, our region, which we pool funds together and as a church is even helping send one of our members to the pastor's college this upcoming year that Merrick uh, has just been at and so thank you for your generosity even to, to some of our shared resources we're excited for youth camp I know some of our students get together uh, with some of yours even my son gets to come to that this year so we're increasingly excited to uh, see bonds uh, growing in our churches um, side note this has nothing to do with the sermon I'm very impressed with your like slow clap up to like a crescendo to to welcome people. We'll have to teach our church how to do that. That was, that was great. Uh, so kudos on that. I don't know if you do that a lot or if this was just a big anomaly or something, but that was nice. Uh, 
All right. Um, I was reading an article several months ago by a man named Ron Charles. He was writing in a newspaper, and he was writing about the closing words of books, which I don't know if some of you have ever had this experience where you've invested tons of time in reading through a book, and you come to the last page of it, and you read those final words, and they have this deep impact on you. But he was trying to describe how that happens, and this is what he said as we come to these last words of the Bible. Uh, this is what he said, just more about those closing words in general. He said, There are some stories that conclude with such gracefully calibrated language that we close the back cover and feel physically imprinted as though the words were pressed into us by a weight we can hardly fathom. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before. I think I have. And even if I don't remember the specific words, I remember the experience of them of coming to a close of a book and being like, whoa. Like, however that was just said or whatever just happened in those, that last sentence or that last paragraph had this deep impact on me. And this morning, I mentioned that because we're coming to quite literally the last, the closing words of the scriptures, the very final words of God's revelation to us in the scriptures. And this is the culmination. These two verses that we're going to look at this morning is the culmination of thousands of years of God speaking in the scriptures, of him revealing himself from Moses on uh, through these words. This is a culmination of dozens of authors who by the Spirit have recorded the scriptures for us. This is the culmination of all of that. And, and what uh, w- the question for us to ask as we come to this ending of scripture is what does this divine author intend to imprint upon us? Like, what are these gracefully calibrated words that he wants to imprint upon us? Not as some abstract weight that's pressing in our hearts, but as the Godhead, as the Father, Son, and Spirit. What is he wanting to impress upon us with these last words of the Scriptures? And so I want to read these last two verses for us and with you, uh, and then walk back through them and see uh, what the Spirit would have to teach us today as we read these closing words of the Bible. You've probably heard these many times. Uh, If you haven't, welcome to the very end of the Bible. Uh, We're going to read these last two verses, Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. So the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, concluded the Scriptures by writing this. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. If this text speaks anything to us, uh, I I would summarize it this way, just this short statement, and then we'll unpack it. Uh, If it speaks anything to us, I think it's this message, it is to yearn for Christ's return to yearn for the Christ's return, to long for it, to, to anticipate it, to, to want it to be. I think that is the message that the Spirit would want to, with these closing words of scriptures, imprint upon our hearts, impress upon us, is to yearn for Christ's return. And I'm not with your church often. This is the first Sunday I've been able to be with you. I'm with my church most Sundays, and I know my own heart well enough that I could guess maybe for you as individuals, even if you're a believer, or you maybe even as a collective church, uh, if you're like me or if you're like our church, I'm, I'm convinced that we don't contemplate the return of Christ enough and that we don't anticipate it enough. 
We, we don't think about it sometimes much at all. And even when we do, it's sort of more a, a theological category. We don't let it just impress upon us this desire for it to actually come to be, where we actually yearn for it. And my hope is that we would, based on today's text and the message from it, that we would contemplate the return of Jesus more and that we would anticipate it even more. And so I, I want to start this morning's message by uh, focusing on this statement, the words of Jesus himself, surely I I am coming soon. Because there is tons that is baked into those handful of words. Surely I am coming soon. I just want to point out a few of them um, because I think they are significant. They are gracefully calibrated, right? If any ending of a book is gracefully calibrated language, it's this. And this is the words of Jesus here right at the conclusion. Surely I am coming soon. This is what God wants ringing in the ears, the minds, echoing in the hearts of God's people as we close his book. And I, I can know, even by looking at the rest of this chapter here, Revelation 22, that this was intended to be a focal point of the end of the book. Uh, because this sentence isn't in isolation, that I am coming soon. It actually, this is the third time just in the last chapter alone of the Bible that Jesus is recorded as saying, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Now, I am coming soon. If you look back at verse 7 in your copy of the scriptures, Jesus, John records, says, Behold, I am coming soon. Right? Then if you bounce your eyes down to verse 12, again, John records Jesus saying, Behold, I am coming soon. Right? And then when we get down to today's text, verse 20, this is the third time, just in the last chapter of Scripture alone, that Jesus says those explicit words, I am coming soon. So it's important. It's notable. It's not a throwaway statement. It's, it's drawn attention to on purpose. And one of the things amongst many I preach about this short sentence is that it's spoken by Jesus himself. First person, right? Jesus himself is recorded speaking. If you have a red letter Bible, these are red letters. This sentence, surely I am coming soon. And it didn't have to be said that way, right? John could have written, obviously he wrote everything how the Spirit intended, but he, he could have communicated similarly he could have wrote 20, verse 20 by just saying, he who testifies to these things is coming soon. Right? He could have just spoken straight third person, factually, Jesus, he's coming soon, everybody. Remember that, he's coming soon. But he records it as Jesus speaking because he heard Jesus say that three times. Uh, he, he records Jesus himself saying it. It's not just a fact about Jesus to be known by us. It's a message from Jesus to be heard by us from his very lips. right? Uh, and I want you to think for just a moment with me who this I is. Uh, who, who is speaking this that John heard and who is speaking it even to us today? Surely I am coming soon. Think about who that is. This I who's speaking, first of all, is God. God the Son, who has always existed, right? Who as a human has a birthday, but as God has no birthday, no starting point of his existence. He's always existed with the Father and with the Spirit. This I who's speaking is the one who spoke the world into existence. Like he's the agent of creation. He's the one who formed this universe, who formed this world. More than that, though, he's not just the creator of the world. He is the one who has entered into creation. 
who has taken on flesh as a human being, just like me and you, uh, and who lived perfectly, that should give us a willingness to lean in and hear what he has to say, that he lived at least 30 plus years of life perfectly obedient to God the Father. That's who this is who is speaking. More than that, this, this I who's speaking is the one who performed miracles while he walked this earth and who continues to even from heaven today. This I who is speaking is the one who died upon the cross for our sins. Who, though he was innocent and deserved no judgment, deserved no death, took our sin upon himself, bore it for us, and suffered the wrath of God in our place. That's who's speaking this. But note, though he died, he is still speaking right? Not just metaphorically or figuratively. He actually has vocal cords that said this, like surely I am coming soon because the one who is saying this was raised from the dead never to die again. Uh, That he didn't just stay in the grave. God, the father raised him back up in power. And this one who says, I am coming soon is now the one who has ascended to heaven, quite literally was lifted up off of this earth. And at this very moment, as we sit here this morning, as you sit here every Sunday morning, he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now. Like that's the one who says this, I am coming soon. And this is the one, if you could have the the veil between heaven and earth peeled back right this moment somehow, like John in this glorious book of the Bible did, uh, got, got a vision of heaven. If you could see right now where Jesus is and what is happening, you would see throngs of angels worshiping him and human beings, those who are dead in Christ worshiping him. Uh, yet in all of that, he pauses somehow and John hears this, Jesus communicates to him, surely I am coming soon. Even as he's being worshipped and, and, and receiving all this glory and praise, he, he speaks for John to hear and now for us to hear to remind us, I am coming soon. So that should, alone should make you, that should make you listen to him. <laughs> like to, to know when he speaks, you should want to hear what he has to say. And what he finishes the scripture saying is, surely I am coming soon. And I I love how he says that and how John records it because what Jesus is saying is he is saying that he himself will return to earth. Not that he's going to send somebody else, right? Uh, Jesus loves sending people. If you've read through the scriptures, you you know Jesus loves. He delights in sending other people to do things for him, right? Uh, He sent, even in this very book of Revelation, he primarily sent an angel to John. Uh, to show him things, to to teach him things, to reveal things to him. So he, he would send angels. Jesus sent apostles out to the nations, right? Like he, that was a great commission. He sent them out. He didn't just stay on earth. He sent them out. He has sent even the Holy Spirit to us as individuals and as churches. He has sent him to us. Like Jesus loves to send. He delights in it. He revels in it. But when it gets to the end of the Bible, he tells us what he's going to do, that he is going to come back. Not just send an agent, not just send an ambassador. He says, I am coming soon. Not look out for my messenger. I am coming soon. And there's a huge difference between somebody sending somebody on their behalf and them coming themselves, isn't there? There's a significant difference in that. And uh, there's a scene that, that lodged in my mind uh, almost two decades ago now. Back in 2003, uh, there was a war going on in Iraq. And many of our soldiers were over there. Some of my cousins, I think, even at the time, were serving there. Maybe that's why this lodges in my memory. 
But I remember Thanksgiving Day, uh, as we're watching TV and we're, we're getting ready for parades and food and whatnot, I remember seeing that President Bush, who was president at the time, went himself to Iraq without telling people he didn't want soldiers to know. I don't think he even necessarily told his family, maybe a few Secret Service people know, and uh, those who needed to know knew. But he, as a surprise, he didn't just send a general. He didn't just send some ambassador. He didn't send some representative. He came himself to visit them. And I remember the effect that that had on, the, on these soldiers. You could just see it in the room, like the cheers. Like if you guys think your slow clap was awesome, like it was... It was awesome. It was epic when they saw our president doesn't just send somebody else here. He comes himself. He wants us to be encouraged. He wants us to know he is with us and for us. That's what Jesus says he is going to do, is that he himself is going to come back to earth, not just send a representative. He, in the flesh, is going to return to this earth. And I, I, so he pledges that he will come himself. But I would note here that he pledges, as he turns people's attention, our attention even to the end of time, what he wants us to set our hope in, what he wants us to draw our attention to, is not our ascent to him as much as it is his descent to us. Uh, I think a lot of times, if you're like me, as we think about the end of our life, like what happens after death, or what happens even beyond that, Typically, we just think about us if we're the people of God going to be with him. We, we get to enter into heaven, and we, it's like we imagine that's all it will ever be, that we'll just be in heaven with God forever. But John is reminding through the words of Jesus that our great hope as human beings is not just that we will ascend to be with him, although we will if we're united Christ, with Christ, but someday, some glorious day, he is going to descend to be with us. Like our great hope isn't just that we will get to escape earth somehow and rise to heaven, although we will. But our great hope is that someday Jesus will come from, he- from heaven to earth, bringing heaven with him back here, right? That is what John sets the hope of readers on. That's what Jesus sets the hope of us on as his people. And G- this is so important because I-, I don't think we often pause and think about this. Jesus becoming a human being was not just a temporary assignment, like a 33-year assignment to earn a righteous record, die in our place, be raised, and then like cease to be a human, right? Jesus, when he entered the womb of Mary, became a human once and for all. He still is to this day. He always will be a human being with us. And as God, he didn't cease to be God, right? He never will cease to be God. So as God, He had this longing and still has this longing for heaven, to be with his heavenly father, to to be in that domain. Uh, He longs for heaven, but think about this. As a human being right now, does Jesus not also have a longing for earth? Right? Like often we just think he had this longing to ascend to heaven, end of story. But he is also a human being who has a longing to be on a physical earth with fellow human beings uh, who have bodies and who eat and drink and sing and dance and do all these. Like he has a longing as a human to be on earth again. Uh, And that is expressed in this. It was a homecoming of sorts for him to ascend to heaven, to return to, to the presence of God the Father. That was a homecoming. But it will equally be a homecoming for him when he descends from heaven, bringing heaven with him 
them down to a new earth. That will be a homecoming very similar. He, has, he longs for both, and in the new earth, heaven and earth will be merged. And God, Jesus, as God and Son, will get to live forever with his Father, with his people. That is a glorious thing, not just that we get to ascend to him, but that he will descend again to us once and for all. And when he says, surely I am coming soon, there is a ton, ton of things that are packed into that, that we should associate with that, things that will happen, things that will take place. I want to make sure we know at least a few of those. I'll just briefly mention these. What is going to happen? When he says, surely I'm coming soon, there's a lot of things that will take place. And we know these from Revelation. We know these from the rest of the scriptures. First, when Jesus returns, when he comes back, like he says he will, one thing to know is that the dead will be raised. Every single human being who has passed before that return, including maybe me and you, if Jesus tarries in heaven, will physically be raised from the dead. We'll be given back our bodies, never to have those bodies taken again. So the dead will be raised just like Jesus was raised. Second thing to note is that Jesus' enemies will be judged and will be destroyed. We'll all be judged, but his enemies will be destroyed once and for all. They will be judged, punished, thrown into the lake of fire. But the glorious good news of Jesus' return, of him coming again soon, is that as he returns, another thing is that a new creation will be established. A new creation has been established, but a new world, a new earth will be established when he returns, where there's no death, where there's no suffering, where there's no breaking of friendships, where there's no, uh, there's no dysfunction, there's no depression, there's none of these things. A new earth will be established, and Jesus' people will be comforted. Jesus' people will be healed. Uh, Jesus' people will be cared for once and for all. There are such powerful images in these last few chapters of the Bible. If you don't usually read these, I'd encourage you to make a regular habit of reading the end of the story, reading the end of the scriptures, because there's these powerful images that John gives us of what will happen when Jesus comes back. He talks about a marriage feast that will be happening, uh, that we just sang about a bit ago. We'll get a little taste of when we take communion together in a bit. There's a marriage feast that he says will take place. He pictures a heavenly Jerusalem uh, coming down from heaven, an actual city where there is no temple, which because it won't be needed, because God will be there himself, Jesus himself will be there, where there's no gates that are closed because there's no night and there's no danger, there's no risk, there's no threat. Uh, he pictures that. He pictures Jesus himself wiping away the tears from the eyes of his people. Uh, those things are going to take place. He talks about a tree of life or trees of life, like the Garden of Eden that he says will be eaten for the healing of the nations when Jesus comes back and that, that new earth is established. And everything in creation is groaning for this. You read Romans chapter 8. Every, the earth is groaning for this, longing for this return of Jesus to come back. Even, I would suggest this, even saints in heaven right now are longing for this return of Jesus because they don't have their bodies right now like we do. They, they, they are longing to be raised physically from the dead and to be back on the earth with God, with his people. It is a longing even of the saints in heaven for Jesus to return. Not just for people living here, but even those that are in heaven and Jesus guarantees it here. 
in today's text, doesn't he? He says, surely I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. I so appreciate that he doesn't make qualifiers. He doesn't make, uh, surely I will come if this happens or that takes place. He just says it as a fact. Surely I am coming soon. That sentence would have been true without the word surely, wouldn't it have? Uh, He could have just said, he who testifies to these things says, I'm coming soon. That would have been 100% true, right? We could take that to the bank. He's coming, guys. We can, we can bank on it. But Jesus, I think, knows our hearts well enough as fellow human beings. He knows our temptations to disbelieve it. He knows our temptations to doubt it, that it's going to actually happen. You've been waiting so long, Jesus. Like, is it really going to happen? Or that seems wild to me to think about that the heavens will open and you'll descend. Like, is that really going to happen? And I so appreciate it. If you talk gracefully calibrated language, that the word surely is included here. Because I need that word. And I think you need that word sometimes to hear Jesus not just say, I'm coming, but to say, surely I'm coming again. I am coming back. And I and reading this text it made me remember uh, just a funny thing in our little family back at advent time this past christmas we were reading this devotional book uh, that had this certain rhythm to it as we would read old testament texts and prophecies about jesus and how god's people interacted with that there was this rhythm and at, at the end of every little reading it would have this rhetorical question it was set in a poem but all you need to know is the question was uh like us asking God, will you come back to stay? And it was supposed to be like a pregnant pause. Like you just say that question day after day after day, like building, like, are you really going to come back, God? And our little son, Charlie, who's down in the kids class uh, right now, uh, about like maybe day three or four or something, for whatever reason, because he likes to make people laugh. Uh, when that qu- he had gotten, hey, okay, this is going to be a normal question. Will you come back to stay? He just blurted out for some reason. He went, uh yeah like that we just all started laughing and so it fed the animal there so like every every day when we would read that for like the next 20 days when we would say will you come back to stay we'd all kind of look over at him and he would say the same thing uh yeah and i think that's humorous this in a serious way this surely i am coming soon is jesus saying uh yeah like i am coming back like it's not just a fact like i am doing i I want you to hear me tell you surely I'm coming back like don't doubt it don't disbelieve it I am coming back and we need that word because we doubt it we disbelieve it we're tempted with sufferings to think this is not true and Satan would love to tempt us to think this isn't going to happen and hear that word surely like Jesus is going to come back he said that not John not me Jesus says that surely I am coming he guarantees it and he says soon he's coming I'm going to let your pastors counsel you about what that means with end times and things like that. I'm not wading into that. But one thing I will say, I appreciate that that word is in here because it clarifies at least for us that in the mind of God, there is a day that he's returning. It may not feel soon to us. It may not feel like it's coming on time. But there is a day set. If it's, there's a countdown clock, even if it's metaphorical in heaven, even if it's just in the mind of God the Father, there is a day, there is a time, there is an hour, there is a second where Jesus will come back. It's not just he's made this promise and is waiting to figure out when it will happen. He has said it will be and he knows when it will be. And so we can take great hope and solace in that, that Jesus says, I am coming soon. 
But the sentence, the verse, the scriptures don't end there with Jesus. It doesn't end with red letters. The surely I'm coming soon, there's more black letters, right? What John says next is what our response should be and what I would want your response to be to this text. Is he says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the expression of John's heart. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is not just a intellectual like yep check that box i believe you're coming back move on to the next thing when he says this i don't know if you think much when you say the word amen like at the end of a prayer or when we're singing or when somebody says something like and you just really resonate with it we say amen a lot and we don't always think what it means but the basic gist of what amen means when you see somebody like john write this or you see it in the scriptures is essentially like a yes, like I agree with that, or even more developed a let it be so, like yes, like please let that come to be. I I believe that, let it actually happen. It's not just like, yep, like I agree, it's an amen, like yes, let that be. And John has this response to hearing Jesus say, surely I am coming soon, that he has an eagerness for it to happen. He has a yearning in his heart for it to be. Not just a belief that it will be, but a yearning for it to be true. Amen, come Lord Jesus. And that should be the response of every Christian. When we hear this, surely I am coming soon. Our response of heart should be, no matter what season we're in, no matter what the state of our life in, as if we feel it's in shambles or we feel like, no, God is forming this together really nice. Whether we're young, whether we're old, whether we're a new believer, whether we've been in the faith decades, every person who's in Christ, who's related to Christ, when we hear him say, I am coming soon, should say, yes, amen, like let it be so, like come Lord Jesus, I want you to return whether we're suffering, whether we're in health, whether we're in abundance, whether in we're scarcity, whether we're lonely and feel isolated, or whether we're in sweetness of fellowship, the response of every Christian should be, amen, come Lord Jesus, I want you to come back, I long for you to come back. And this little dynamic here in verse 20 of Jesus speaking and his disciples saying, yes, let it be so, is really, in a nutshell, how all of Christian living should be. That when God speaks, when he promises something, when he commands something, even if we're tempted to disbelieve it, even if we're tempted to ignore it, when he speaks something, our response should be, amen, yes. Like, let that be. Bring that to pass. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll trust that. When he speaks, our response should always be, amen. Like, let that be so. I agree with you, Lord. Conform my heart to have the longings you want me to have. Like, I don't want to just be someone who hears, I'm coming soon, and show shoulder shrugs and thinks, yep, that's great. Move on to the next thing. I want to think and feel in my heart, yes, amen, let it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. But note that John says, amen, come, Lord Jesus. He doesn't just say, come, Jesus. He calls him Lord. And I want to zero in on that word for a moment because the return of Jesus will take place. It will take place But it is only good news. It is only something to long for if you can truly call Jesus Lord. Because for some, his return, his return to this earth is not something that they should be longing for. It is for some in this room, maybe even, his return is not something you should be longing for and praying, yes, bring this about, Jesus. It should be something that makes some of us shudder 
that makes some of us be struck with fear because the return of Jesus will bring judgment as well. There will be reward, there will be blessing that comes to those who are united with Jesus, but there will be a judgment that comes upon once and for all those who are the enemies of Christ, those who have not repented, those who have not turned to him in faith. If, if, and you don't have to just take my word for it. I would just briefly point your eyes up to verse 12, the verse I read kind of near the beginning, where one of those times Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. There's not a period at the end of that, right? Verse 12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. That's Jesus saying that. That when he comes, there will be judgment that comes eternally, once and for all, for all of those who are his enemies, those who have not turned to him in faith. And Jesus will either be, there's two ways your sin will be dealt with or has been dealt with. This will be true of every single one of us. It's true of every single human being who has ever lived, will ever live. There's two ways our sin will be dealt with. One way which I trust and hope is true for many, if not most, of us in this room, is that our sin was laid upon Christ at the cross. That he bore the wrath, the full wrath of God at the cross. He was the bearer of God's wrath for us at the cross. And we have placed our faith in him. We've turned from our sin. We've cast all our hope, all our confidence upon him and what he's done for us. Our sin has been dealt with that way. But if we have not turned to him in faith, if he has not been crucified for us, put to death for us, then the second way that our sin will be dealt with, the other category, is that it will be dealt with once and for all when he returns. That there will be a ceiling, there will be a a resurrection to judgment, to hell once and for all. God's wrath will come upon us. So Jesus is either the bearer of God's wrath for you on the cross or he is the bringer of God's wrath for you at his return. Those are the only two options. And we must come to see him as Lord, see him as Savior if we're to long for his return. If, if that is not true of our heart, if we're still living in our sin or we're still just bringing our own goodness to God, we should want Jesus to wait in heaven until we turn, until we are forgiven of our sin. So it is important for us to not just think the return of Jesus is going to be pure bliss for everyone, everywhere of all time. It is bliss for his people but there's judgment that comes at his return as well. But I so appreciate verse 17 in this chapter. I want to point your eyes to that verse as well. This is glorious. Uh, This whole chapter, there's these voices saying like, yes, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, like come back to this earth. And John records a few of those people saying that in verse 17. He says, the spirit... So we know the Spirit wants Jesus to come back. Uh, And he says, the bride, which would be the church. So the Spirit and the bride are both saying, come. Like they want Jesus to come back. And he says, let the one who hears this, like the one who hears Revelation, say, come. But then, so he's talking about these people who want Jesus to come back, saying, come Jesus, come Jesus, come Jesus. But then at the second half of verse 17, John says that there's an invitation for people right now to come to Jesus, like to go to him. So he says in the second half of verse 17, he says, let the one who is thirsty come. That's not Jesus, right? Jesus is not the one who is thirsty. So he's talking about, humans like us. Let the one who is thirsty come. 
And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That is glorious. He, he is saying, John is recording, that those like us who are spiritually thirsty, who have, we're not satisfied, we don't have any goodness, we're poor, we have no price to pay to God to, to get access to Jesus, to be received into the favor of God. We come with nothing but thirst, nothing but sin and thirst. And John says to us, if we're in that state, come to Jesus. Like, you don't have to pay anything. You can't pay anything. And the good news is this gift is free to you. This access to God is free to you. And so if that is you this morning, and I don't know almost any of you well enough to know if this is true of your heart or not, but if you have never come to Jesus in faith, if you have never turned to him as your Lord, if you look ahead to the return of Jesus with fear and dread, I would love, I would long for today to be the day that you take him up on verse 17. That you come to him not with a price, to pay but with empty hands and say Jesus forgive me and if you do he will like that is gloriously good news not just that we have to wait for him to come back to us but that he invites us even now to come to him and that is gloriously good news so amen come Lord Jesus but there's one more sentence that we'll just briefly touch on it's in verse 21 that this verse ends, I often, before I study this text much, I actually often forget that this verse is actually the end. I often would think verse 20 was the end, the amen, come Lord Jesus. Uh, if, like if I was writing it, which thankfully God did not have me write it, that's probably how I would end, like yeah, come Lord Jesus. But then John says this, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all Amen. And I, I appreciate that this gracefully calibrated language is in here because John knew enough to know that we need to remember as we wait for the return of Jesus, we need to know that we have his grace even now. That as we wait in anticipation of his return, that as we walk through pain and suffering and struggle, we need the grace of Jesus to be with us now. It's not just something we long for in the future, but something we even need right now. And his grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus, comes in various ways and forms in this life as we wait for his return. And I think he even gives graces to us as we think about his return. There, there's gifts of grace that he offers to us even as we think about his return. One, grace of Jesus that can be with us and granted to us as we think about his return is that in our suffering, we are bolstered, we're sustained in hope as we suffer, right? That, that we can have hope and confidence as we walk through painful trials, as we get diagnoses that are, are awful and feel hopeless in the world, as we have relationships that are strained, or as we have poverty that sets in, or we have uh, things that just feel so fractured and broken in our life, one of the graces of Jesus as we contemplate his return is to know that this story is not all that there is. That, that my little story of my life is not all that there is to the, me the meta story, the bigger story of life. And we should be people who are reminding ourselves and reminding each other regularly of this big picture story, that, that Jesus is coming back, uh, that as we walk through sufferings, we can have hope and confidence that someday he is going to return, and there is a shelf life on our suffering. It may be a long shelf life. It may be like those, uh, those products that are in stores that have like expiration dates like a decade long. You're like, what do they put in there? Like, how, how is that shelf life that long? It may feel like our suffering has this shelf life that feels eternal, infinite but it is not like there is a shelf life to it it may be a lifetime 
But there is an end to it, and Jesus will return, and someday we will be raised with bodies and walk around and talk and sing and eat and rejoice in the new creation of Jesus. And when we feel the lack of those things now, we can remind ourselves by God's grace of what is ultimately to come. A grace of Jesus, as we remember his return, is that we're strengthened in our fight against sin. Sometimes when Jesus is in heaven out of sight, we're more tempted to sin against him. We're tempted to forget that he's real, that he's our Lord, that that we belong to him, and he's out of sight, out of mind sometimes. But when we remember he's coming back, that's a reminder he's still alive now. Like he's my Lord presently, not just in the future. And I I was thinking of this, that just as a a small illustration of a, a wife who's married to a husband in the military, Like when he's deployed, when he goes to combat or is sent overseas, things like that, her faithfulness to him doesn't end when he's out of sight, right? It's not that when he is gone that she just now can live how she wants, live as if she's single, do whatever she wants. There's a faithfulness to him though he is away in part because she knows he's returning. She, she has not ceased to be his bride, ceased to be his wife, and she knows that he has returned. So there's a faithfulness even in physical absence to him. And the same is true for us with Christ. So though he is in heaven and we're on earth, we are to be faithful to him, knowing he is coming back and that we are his bride even now. Another grace of the Lord Jesus to us as we think about his return is this, is that remembering the return of Jesus should motivate us to evangelize. It should motivate us to tell the good news of Jesus to people who don't yet believe it. Because every human being in this room, every human being in this town, every human being in this state, every human being in this world will be raised at this last day when Jesus comes back. And that includes you. That includes your coworker. It includes your classmate. It includes your cousin. It includes the people you're going to see out and about today. And we are tempted sometimes to just forget that and just live as if we're just these temporary people on this temporary planet and we forget the eternality of the people that we talk to. We forget that they are going to be judged just like me one way or the other, either to eternal life in the new earth or to eternal judgment in hell. And that should compel us to, to talk to our fellow human beings to say, I have good news for you, friend. Like, I want to tell you about this God who has come into our earth, who suffered for us and been raised for us and someday is returning for us and you're accountable to him. And then invite them to come to him without price. Come, come uh, bearing nothing but their sin. We, we should be compelled to evangelize as we think about the return of Jesus. And the last thing I would say is a grace of Jesus as we think about the return of him is this, is that we are tempted often, I'm tempted often, to look at my life through a very small frame, to just look at like the present reality, to maybe look at the next year, to maybe look at the next decade, and to just take into account the things I think, the things I feel, the things I anticipate. And my view of my life is so small that it's very easy for me to just be overwhelmed, to be fearful, to be nervous, to think this makes no sense to me, it must make no sense to anyone, and to just view my life so small that this text, this closing of the scriptures should remind us that that frame that we look at our life through is not the right frame to look through. That there is a much broader, like almost an infinitely, eternally broader frame to look at my life through. To know that I'm not just some small speck on a small planet, on a small solar system, in a galaxy that's insignificant and I have no meaning and my life just stinks and it's terrible and just looks small frame, small frame. 
But remember, I am an eternal being created by the creator of the universe, bought by Jesus to belong to my heavenly Father, and Jesus is coming back for me. And someday I'm going to be raised from the dead and be able to breathe again with lungs. I don't ever have to worry getting filled with sickness. I don't have to worry about cancer. And I don't have to worry about my friends leaving me. I don't have to doubt whether God is for me. Like we will know those things once and for all. And that frame will be exploded. Like we will have no more cares and worries. And even now we can remind ourselves of those things. And we can remind us ourselves God sees all of it. Like he, he knows all of it and he is for me and he is with me and he is coming back for me and that should affect how we live our life how we view our problems i don't know about you but growing up in church i would often hear the great commission taught over and over and over again we would go to matthew 28 and i'm thankful to god that we did i'm so thankful for like ellie and people from your church and our church and our denomination who go to the nations with the gospel jesus said go to all nations all authority has been given me go make disciples of all nations But even the Great Commission didn't just end with a command, right? Jesus said, surely I am with you always to the end of the age. But even that was not the last thing Jesus said, right? I always grew up thinking, that's the final word of Jesus, the surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. I would suggest to you that we maybe adopt a title for the couple verses we just read today, not of the Great Commission, but the Great Commitment of Jesus. Uh, Because Jesus, the last word, the last red letters in the scriptures aren't even, I am with you now, but I will come back for you. Like, I will come back to this earth. Jesus has said, I will do that. I will return. He doesn't leave echoing in our minds as the scriptures close, go do this for me, as if he does tell us that. And we do have a responsibility to go. But the very last thing he says to us is what he will do for us. That he is going to return, that he's going to raise us, that he's going to set up this new earth once and for all. And may we yearn for that, brothers and sisters. May we think about it often. May we anticipate it often and may that be what the closing of these pages of this book may that be the effect that that has upon our heart may that these words imprint upon our hearts this yearning for the return of jesus amen amen i'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing we're going to take communion um, but thank you for listening let me pray for us father in heaven What gloriously good news as we're uh, coming into this morning, as we're starting this week, uh, probably with distractions and cares, uh, anxieties, worries, fears, uh, sincere sufferings, things that we're walking through in our life. We are grateful for this reminder to look to the heavens and to know that the resurrected Jesus is there and that he will return for us. May we think about that often. May we anticipate that often. And God, I I revel in the fact that someday all of these brothers and sisters in this room, all of the brothers and sisters from my church, all of the brothers and sisters around the planet now and that ever have been and ever will be, will be raised from the dead with physical bodies, singing, eating, drinking, celebrating once and for all your glorious Son. And we pray that even this morning and what remains, that you would stir in our hearts a fresh love for him, a gratefulness for him, and anticipation for his return. And I pray this in his name. Amen.